Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. Welcome to our new episode of Transportation Matters. My name is Martin Daum. I'm the CEO of Daimler Trucks and Buses, and I hope all of you are well and healthy. Thank you all for being with us again. In today's episode, we will talk about a topic that is highly relevant, not just for the transport industry, but for society as a whole. It's a road to decarbonization. Or should I rather say the right road to decarbonization? Because that's where we still need more consensus and focus. We all agree on the goal, and that is CO2 neutral transportation. But regarding the right road to get there, there are still different opinions and approaches out there. So I'm looking forward to having a lively discussion on that. And I'm very glad we've got the perfect guest for that discussion, Adina Valian. Mrs. Valian, welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you for having me for this conversation. I will do my best to raise the occasion. Mrs. Valian serves as European Commissioner for Transport since 2019. She became a member of the European Parliament in 2007 when Romania joined the European Union. And she held various key positions since then, for example, as Vice President of the European Parliament and Chair of the Environment Committee. Mrs. Valian, thank you so much for being on our podcast. And because this is a podcast about transportation and it's transportation with trucks, my first question should go to the subject. What comes to your mind if you think of the word truck? When I think of a truck, I can see uh, the engine of our economy running. So the trucks as other modes of transportation are the expression of healthy economy working. So this is the first thing I would think about it. And then, of course, we can imagine high technological uh, features. We can see the trucks of the future, like in transformers. So, um, yes, I see a very good example of um, uh, European industry at its best. Perfect, Mrs. Valian. And we couldn't have orchestrated your answer better because, first of all, our mission vision statement of Daimler Trucks is for all who keep the world moving. Yeah, because that, yeah, that is really uh, the backbone of our economy. And when you mentioned technology in the Transformers, the truck in the Transformer movie comes from Daimler in North America. So, so perfect. Uh, but thank you. The other thing which came to my mind when I introduced you and read, uh, you know, the impressive list of your positions, it's since 2007, Europe is the central, let's say, word in your resume. Why are you working for Europe? What is your vision for Europe? Uh, coming from a country which was under communist regime with uh, all the restrictions we had, being unable to feel as a part of the free world. Of course, you get excited when you have the opportunity to work for Europe and be part of this uh, great family and uh, bring your expertise and uh, your vision, your own uh, ideas and your own life experience into this melting pot of cultures and uh, initiatives and visions for the future of uh, this great family we have, which is Europe. Great, and I, and I think we, we need that exactly. We need those visions. We need that leadership. 
because the problem we are facing, decarbonization, can't be solved on a national level. I mean, you, we can say we, we have to solve it on a global level, but let's first focus on Europe. Uh, I heard in one of your statements that Europe wants to be the forerunner leading the global decarbonization. What does it mean for transportation? So it's not only me saying that, it's a commitment taken by heads of states of government. It is the mandate of the European Commission I'm part of to make uh, Europe a climate neutral continent by 2050. That means for transport, a reduction to 90% of uh, emissions by uh, 2050. And that's a huge endeavor. And uh, as you said earlier, this cannot be solved at national level. I would even add that it's not solvable, not even at European level. We'll do our best to be front runners, uh, to set out the right policies, maybe to be followed at global level. And for us in transport, at least uh, two of our sectors, aviation and maritime, are global by definition. So we cannot act alone. We have to try to convince the world to follow and have a common uh, effort in order to cut the emissions. And this is not something we are doing just as a purpose in itself, but uh, we need to do that for our planet, for the next generation. And uh, I would say we are just acting responsible and trying to explain better. And it's also a case for innovation and for new technologies. And I think generally the, the world is moving towards uh, new things. Uh, so you know, why not be the first with uh, which would display new technologies, new fuels, uh, a new way of life in which we are all more sustainable? Uh, while doing or achieving uh, at least uh, the same uh, prosperity and the same level of living. Uh, but, but I made the experience when, uh, and I nearly said a similar statement, 2019, when we published our zero emission goal for our company and for our products. But some of the, uh, let's say, pushback I got is that if we in Europe are going that way, then transportation becomes much more expensive and then uh, industry will move out of Europe. It will make the European continent less competitive. Is this a valid argument or is it an argument which is just uh, blah, blah, to, to be said to say something against it? Well, I would say uh, that everywhere in the world there is a sort of reluctance to uh, to move, especially when uh, someone is asked to move fast. And um, the answer I would give is that, of course, we need to be ambitious and uh, set targets, but we have to be also balanced into approach. So the targets should be realistic. And then to devise the right instruments, which would be, I would say, a basket of measures and instruments, which would allow such a transition to be one, a successful one, in which uh, we preserve competitiveness, jobs, profits for the companies, uh, jobs for the people, and um, our global uh, leadership in many of the sectors. So I would say it's doable, or at least this is the way we are trying to work for, for it. For us, it's always one, and we formalize that as a company, we talk always CO2 free in the triad, which means Europe, uh, North America, and Asia, I would say mainly Japan, and I would definitely add China to that. But we are, have really huge operations in Brazil, in Indonesia, in the Middle East. Do you think that we can be a role model and move the policies in those countries as well? Or is this just something beyond 2050? 
Well, I think uh, we are very much engaged at a global level uh, through all international institutions and also through politics to try to convince and work uh, with those who are uh, like-minded. And you can see this when you go, for example, in uh, COPs and you are talking about cutting emissions and uh, the pledges, you will see that uh, in time things have moved into a specific direction. We are uh, working uh, for transport in particular in ICAO, we are working in IMO. Of course, uh, it's more convincing when you bring to the table your own example. We are not actually in competition with them, but that's important to act uh, together on such an important issue. In Europe, we took early action. That's a fact. So we do not uh, have the same increase in emissions in the mid-2000s, uh, mm. uh, for example, in the United States. But there's uh, still a long way to go. We are uh, having this new pledge for 2050. I think it is inspiring and we are going to work towards this. Yeah, and, and I fully support that. And we feel very comfortable here with really pushing Europe, United States, China, Japan, but always design our products that we can immediately roll them out to all the other countries should they follow. So, so I, I really appreciate the fact that we can be here role models on the European side. Now, if the, when the goal is clear, the way to the goal, there is these days a lot of discussions. And here, for us, it's always difficult to figure out what's the right way to go. And I'm, on the one side, sure, we can't solve the problem here, but just to give a little bit flavor to it. We have on the one side, at the moment, the discussion about battery electric truck or hydrogen-powered electric trucks. What's your opinion on that? Well, uh, uh, we should not see, in my opinion, battery electric and hydrogen fuel cells competing, but uh, they might be complementary technologies. Uh, there is currently a strong market uptake for battery electric cars, vans and buses. However, hydrogen represents a promising solution for long-haul trucks, waterborne shipping and coaches. So the Commission has long funded the joint undertaking for hydrogen and fuel cells, while we continue to support the sector, it is also for the automotive industry to bring vehicle models to the market. Mm. In the past, we have also contributed significantly to the establishment of a minimum infrastructure for hydrogen refueling. And last year's hydrogen strategy defines in more detail the ambitions and the plans to promote this element, which is key for the decarbonization strategy. So both technologies would also be great, for example, in changing the inland waterways transport, also for the short-haul aviation. So I hope that their development uh, gets accelerated. And this is actually something, um, I, I don't see the technologies competing because actually we will need mm -hmm. both depending yeah. on the specificities. For me, the important part is, is really, especially in the time 2025 to 2035, that uh, with a steep ramp up we will see in the industry of our products rolling out into the market. We need really both from the infrastructure perspective. I think until 2025, there will be certainly a plus on the electric side, just because of the low volumes and the ready available, I would say, charging stations and the lack of hydrogen. But from 2025 to 35, it will be absolutely crucial that we have both technologies, both in product from our side as from the infrastructure side. Yeah, exactly. Beyond 35, there is for me... A one area where I have a 
Concern would be the wrong word, but where I see another challenge coming up. We need an enormous amount of green energy because I think we all agree uh, gray or brown energy or however you call that out of carbon fuels, uh, just to convert that into electricity and then to propel a truck or a ship that is not saving the environment. So we need clean energy. And my big question is, what is coming there as a revolution for that enormous amount of green energy we need? And how can we transport that energy over time, so store it over time or transport it over distance? What's your vision view on that? Well, so I need to take uh, the angle of the transport. So... Um... Because for else we can understand that in um, the future, starting even rather soon, we will have a huge need for uh, clean energy. And what we have to tailor right is the fact that various sectors are going to compete for various solutions. So um, the need is enormous. It's true. That was uh couple of weeks ago in another public discussion in my counterpart, she declared hydrogen as a champagne of a green economy. And that champagne uh, should be really used for rare occasions like flying and not for everyday use like truck. And you can understand that I was kind of excited about being cut off. Uh, yes, trucks should never be powered by champagne or something which is valued like champagne. Yeah? But then it's on the other side, we need hydrogen just like water or diesel. And that is, I would say, another big revolution which we have ahead of us. Well, I see the need for, for public support into that. Yes, you have the need for the right incentives to support the transition. And this is my view in this regard. Hydrogen is going to be a huge part of the story. That's obvious. There is a discussion about how green is the hydrogen, but well, in my opinion, which does not reflect necessarily a majority of opinion, we have to make the best use of everything we can mm -hmm. in order to move, to achieve as soon as possible the reduction of the CO2 emissions in the mm -hmm. sector. So I wouldn't exclude uh, any. And I'm sure in time uh, it will become greener and greener, but I think that this moment we have to look at everything we can have a in the market and not exclude anyone because we need all of them. Mm -hmm. That's my opinion. <laughs> one other question when it comes to CO2-free driving. There is one movement in Germany, and I have to admit, you normally don't do that as a host in a way to say your opinion right away, but in this case, I'm pretty opinionated. That is when it comes to catenary trucks. Those are those trolley trucks that you put electric wires on top of highways and trucks then can charge or get the electric current from that. I, I see some pilot projects at the moment in Germany, wherever they are, our company does not participate because we think it's, it's not the, uh, the solution of the future. Are we right or are we wrong in that opinion? Well, I know some manufacturers are researching this type of integrated road energy network uh, vehicle technology. I think it might be useful for certain routes, but the complexity of uh, matching investment and in new standards in energy infrastructure, road infrastructure, vehicles, might mean longer lead times for deploying mature projects. So whatever technology works and comes first <laughs> should be supported uh, appropriately. 
Mm, okay. Yes, and, and that's that's our opinion too. It's it's too inflexible. It's huge investment in infrastructure, and in my opinion, that money can be spent far more valuable in in other issues because infrastructure is key. Yeah, infrastructure is key. We need both a hydrogen infrastructure and a charging infrastructure. Uh, it is our ambition to have at least 500 hydrogen fueling stations across Europe, and we need. And here the count is going up, I would say, by the month, high voltage charging stations for electric trucks. And I talk alongside the highway. On top of that would be then what we call depot charging, where customers build up their own chargers at home at their location. What is the role of the, the policymakers in this? And do you work from your department with uh, energy companies uh, as well on the infrastructure stuff? Or would you see more the responsibility on our industry side? We are going to propose this alternative fuels infrastructure directive, which would uh, come with the aim of uh, supporting the um, deployment of recharging points and also uh, refueling. This is a discussion we are having because uh, I want to set the right incentives or give enough flexibilities for the member states of the European Union for everyone to choose it's the way it goes. Because in some parts it will be with public support and others might be private investment which would be favoured. So I think what is for sure is that the deployment of this alternative infrastructure will be there. We can see already from uh, the national plans for recovery and resilience that member states are thinking and in investing in this. They are committing to uh, an increased number. Of course, uh, for us as transport, we'd like to see a lot of them on uh, mainly on the transport network, the main transport network, and this will be very helpful for uh, trucks uh, transporting goods across uh, Europe. But how is this going to be organized? Because of the fact that we have so different situation in uh, each member state, I think we need to leave it a bit uh, to each of them to think mm-hmm. uh, how it would be best to be. Mm. We can impose the standards, we can uh, support financially because we have various financial instruments at the European level which can be used to support the deployment. But how exactly it is going to be organized, who is going to be in charge with that and this, I think we have to give uh, again uh, some flexibility. Mm. When we did our planning, we ran across two phenomena or several phenomena. One is to have later the majority, and I'm not talking about single hundred or, or, or even a thousand trucks as zero emission. That is when we talk about 10,000 annually, a hundred thousand trucks, zero emission to the market. Uh, we have, we need three factors. You know, we need great products from our industry. We need a working infrastructure and we need cost parity. At the moment, all three elements are zero. But to make it a success, they are like in a mathematical calculation with a multiplication. So it means one, if one factor is zero, the product is always zero. So at the moment, all three are zero. So that's easy zero. But if we would have tomorrow cost parity, and we talk about that in a second and good products, but no infrastructure, it's zero. If we have good products and infrastructure, but no cost parity, it's zero. So infrastructure is important. I really ask that your whole administration is working with, let's say, institutes looking for demand studies, checking, challenging us on the infrastructure side, challenging the fuel companies. 
looking at the member states. I think this can be only resolved as a joint effort. Yes, as I said, uh, you are totally right. It's it's true, and the ambition it's translated actually in binding targets, which are in connection directly with both with criteria regarding um, I don't know the number of vehicles. For a certain type in the national speaking, and also on um, criteria related on um, distance-based criteria. So that means that when the market moves, uh, the infrastructure moves alongside with it. Okay, let's move to the third topic of CO2 emission driving. That is cost parity. For our listeners, cost parity means that someone who buys a commercial vehicle wants to earn money. And if the transport with a diesel power truck is cheaper than the transport with a zero emission vehicle, then he will certainly go bankrupt uh, if he can't charge more for zero emission driving, which at the moment nobody of our customers sees in the market. So we have, on the one side, have to get to cost parity. Now we have the problem as an industry that even in our most daring and challenging, let's say, product projects. We can't see that at the end of the day, a a fuel cell truck or a battery truck will cost the same. And that's not because of our profits. It's just because of the material that needs to be used in those trucks, that the trucks will be always more expensive as a starting point. The next thing is to transport 40 tons over 100 kilometers. You need today 28 liters or 8 kilogram hydrogen, or 130 kilowatt hours of electric in a pure electric battery truck. Uh, And now you multiply that with the price of diesel and the price of hydrogen and the price of electric energy, then it gets difficult to make it cheaper. And then there was the idea of, let's say, CO2-based road toll, Euro vignette. And here, Commissioner Valian, my really sincere thank you, because at the early June, in a trilogue, the European Commission and the European Parliament decided in favor of such a CO2-based road, let's say, pricing. Can you give us some more insight? I think it's exciting. Mm-hmm. So the cost parity is um, really a crucial question. You have uh, said very well, in contrast with the car market where individual tastes and preferences play a much stronger role. The commercial vehicle segment is driven primarily by economic consideration and thus we must ensure that operators receive the right signals. So zero emission heavy duty vehicles are substantially more expensive than conventional ones in terms of initial purchase costs. However, the operational costs are lower, so they may therefore quickly become cost competitive in terms of ownership costs. And for this, we need to give the right signals and incentives to accelerate the transition. And um, our instruments in terms of legislation are the Energy Taxation Directive, which is um, going to be revised as part of our uh, legislative package Fit for 55. The Eurovignette, an agreement was found between European Parliament and um, uh, European Council so that uh, we might have an agreement. And this is very important because it will internalize the externalities. So we'll have uh, a more appropriate taxation on uh, polluting uh, vehicles. 
And then we will have also the 10 regulation. So the Trans-European Network uh, in Transport uh, Regulation. All this uh, can help us make uh, the zero emission solutions more attractive. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I know that last year, one out of 10 newly registered vehicles in the EU was already electric. Uh, well, including also the cars, cars, vans and bus uh, segments. Yeah, and then and this is unfortunately for the truck industry, I would say it was 99.99% passenger cars. When I look at our own Daimler truck production, I think we had last year about 500 electric vehicles and we had 450,000 diesel vehicles. So for us, we are just at the beginning of that transformation. Yes, but in this context, for example, your recent launch of uh, Cellcentric yeah. <laughs> in cooperation with Volvo. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good, it's a good example of the type of the initiative uh, yeah. you can have in that sector to facilitate developments like in uh, the other segments. So once they are ready for the market at scale, hydrogen-powered lorries can help meet our decarbonization ambition and uh, this cooperation will accelerate this process. And uh, we'll see increased numbers in this. Absolutely. And we won't disappoint you on that. Uh, When I I come back to the Eurovignette, therefore that is so important, Yeah, where carbon gets a price and there is a price difference running a diesel-powered truck and an emission-free truck. And here I I really see a huge benefit that we get a market-oriented solution. Uh, So we don't need too much regulations. We can just focus that transportation always goes for the most efficient way, cheapest way. That Eurovignette was in discussion since somewhere 2017. I I know I was on on, on various uh, hearings and interviews in Brussels about that. Why did it take so long? Or was it a close decision? Or what was the key things, tipping points that made the decision now so positively? I think in time, uh, the overall debate towards the externalities in transport, which needs to be to have a price, increased. And a lot of pressure and a lot of debate and a lot of acceptance and uh, requirements from the general public. So I would say it was... uh, a shift in the mindset that we have to do something. Secondly is uh, every country with its system. So it's very difficult uh, for a country to give up on something that they believe it's a working system to introduce something which is uh, proposed at European level. Uh, This is um, valid for a lot of topics. So it was a bit difficult to convince uh, countries to find a common approach towards this uh, topic. So I think that's why it took long. Let's see how it's going to look in the end, because as I said, it's uh, out of the oven. It's still hot, (laughs) the agreement, but nevertheless, I think it is needed. So it's a step in the right direction. And um, I hope we'll see it uh, implemented soon. This will be tested how it works in time with, um, I don't know, a review in 2026 because we will have uh, other instruments which are going to be also proposed as pricing the CO2 for road. So um, we have to uh, make sure that everything falls uh, nicely in its place and all these initiatives are not necessarily overlapping or so. We'll see how it evolves, but it's good for the time being that we have your vignette and uh, we are going to apply for the first time uh, these principles. uh, Yeah. And and it's very important for our customers to get really a long-term view on that. 
Why? Because when they purchase, they think of a five or six year usage of a vehicle and they need to be a certain assurance, you know, that it's not changing the environmental conditions uh, in the next five or six years. So I highly appreciate if such a ruling goes out and it stays valid as a principle for long. I sometimes say it, it, you can only say at the end of the day, diesel might get even more expensive. So whatever works today will definitely work in five years, but it never goes the other way around again. Exactly. The, the path is clear and uh, the cleaner the vehicle you invest in, more sure it is that in the uh, in time, the ownership costs will be lower. And as I said previously, it will become cost competitive to own a cleaner vehicle. But this is, of course, in in time. It's good to have predictability with all this because sometimes we're talking a lot about ambition, but not enough about consolidation and predictability on uh, the past. And I think uh, now with this uh, package we are going to present now in summer with uh, many initiatives from taxation to enablers for decarbonization and uh, tackling uh, various uh, parts of policy, I think we will be able to give some predictability for um, 2030 and beyond so that um, exactly those who would need to invest would know what is to come. So that will make an informed decision from this perspective. What you are saying with the cost of the vehicle, it's valid in all parts of the transport sector. Imagine when you invest in a new ship, mm-hmm. what kind of fuel is that ship going to be powered yeah, by? Absolutely. Because it's yeah. going to be important. Yeah. And for the ships, it's an even longer time. The investment, it, I don't know, it's for 70 years or something. <laughs> Then uh, in uh, new airplanes, and uh, we need uh, new airplanes because the new ones are less emitting and uh, more environmental friendly. But again, these are investments uh, done for a long time by a company when they buy them. And also all the small and medium-sized enterprises would have a van or a small truck for (laughs) their operations. They need to know what to invest because uh, it's very important for their business and uh, we cannot just come overnight and say, okay, your your vehicle, it's uh, not worth uh, anymore or you're going to have uh, increased costs. So predictability is truly very important. Yes, perfect. Commissioner Valian, I'm absolutely honored. I think it's really very, very important that one of the most highest ranked officials in the transportation sector in the European Union Yes, with us, with our customers, with our suppliers, with our employees, her view of the future, which is extremely important, pushing forward the transformation. Thank you from my side so very much for participating in that conversation. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. So for everyone else, that's what today's episode was all about. The discussion will for sure continue. That is the great challenge of these years. Thanks for listening. Please join us again for our next episode on Transportation Matters because transportation truly matters for all of us. Until then, take care and stay healthy. That was Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. Our next episode will be available on the first Wednesday of next month. If you enjoyed what you've heard, share this episode and subscribe to Transportation Matters on your preferred podcast platform. You can do this by tapping the follow or subscribe button right next to the podcast title. 